He's the founder of the rock band Silence and Light. He's a retired United States Army Special Forces Delta Force operator. He was part of the combatants in the Battle of Mogadishu, also known in the movie Black Hawk Down. He's got an amazing story and a mission to help veterans, first responders, recover from the effects of trauma. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. If you enjoy the Law Enforcement Today podcast, do me a big favor. Tell a friend. And if you're able, if you've got a few moments, leave an honest review and rating. But most importantly, tell a friend or two or three. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Calling us from Long Island, New York, we have retired Army Sergeant Major Brad nope. Thomas on the phone. Did I get that right, Brad? Master Sergeant. Master Sergeant. See, I knew I was going to mess up the ranks. <laughs> you know, and here's that's the thing. Okay, that's okay. Hey, thanks for having me, dude. I come from a military background. My dad was career Navy. And look, that's what I know. And I know police ranks in my city. Every, every department has different ranks. On the Law Enforcement Today show, most of our guests, or a good percentage of them, are law enforcement officers giving a glimpse behind a badge of what they do and all that stuff. And there's also a big part of the show that is dedicated to law enforcement officers, other first responders, their families, military veterans, victims of crime, talking about the traumas they went through. And how they rebuilt their lives and what they did to get there. And I think it's fair to say, Brad, your story falls into the latter. Sure. I think I think I fit into the box of your typical usual guest with some sort of story that I'd like to tell and kind of, you know, how I overcame. Now, Brad is in a rock band. And right away, and I work as a music radio DJ in the rock era or genre, I should say. And it's easy to stereotype in your mind what these rock musicians are like. And quite often they're wrong. I've had the chance to interview some big ones and they've been solely different than what you thought they were. Brad, is it safe to say that you and your bandmates are different from what people expect with rock music? Yeah, I think it would, what's actually interesting is it's, it's kind of the opposite. And the people that I've met and some of the folks that I hang out with or met for the first time, you know, we'll, we'll say, man, I would, I would never guess that you were in the military. So it's almost, it's almost the opposite, which to me is a great compliment because I'm not walking around with my veteran hat on flying my veteran flag and, you know, talking about the days of old. I'm, I'm very much living in today. So I, uh, I tell them all the time, it's like the biggest compliment they could probably give me is that, (laughs) you know, they don't, 
they don't think that I fit the stereotype of having served in Delta Force for 12 years or in the Army for 20 years. Isn't it funny? Because I'm the exact opposite. I don't walk around with a lot of police stuff on. I don't do that at all. But I'm the kind of guy that people look at, they go, oh, I could." I say I could be 85-year-old walking with a walker and be go, uh-oh, there's 5-0. Better run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're the exact that's, opposite. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's funny. I think also, too, it was, you know, I never... I never fully identified with the military and it was something that I remember even being in basic training, you know, you get, you don't get a whole ton of sleep or, you know, things like that. And, uh, even at the end of the day, no matter what time we kind of finished up, I would always take time for myself and for my friends. And that was like something like, you can't take this from me. You can't take, you can't completely strip me of my identity. And, and that's something that I, I don't know. I always held on to. Well, I appreciate your service, and that's something, by the way, I talked about with many people. When people say it to me, I, I never quite know how to respond, and I used to stumble with, well, blah, blah, blah. Now I just say, you're welcome, and I get very uncomfortable when people say that. Are you bothered by that? Yeah, it's it's kind of the same thing where, I, you know, I don't know. I don't I don't feel like... I did it for any one specific person. This was just much greater than, than I am. It's, it's a purpose much bigger than any of us. So, you know, I don't even feel like I served in that capacity. It was more like, Hey, I'm just a part of the team that got it done. And, you know, definitely it's not about me or my accomplishments. So your career was 20 years in the United States army. Yep. And, uh, and 12 years was uh, special forces, Delta force. Yes. So now I'm not going to ask for details, because A, stuff's classified. B, most of my guests are uncomfortable talking about details. And I'm one of those people. I don't, I don't talk about a lot of things I went through because quite honestly, not everyone has earned the right to hear all of it. And I, I, there's some things I'm pretty private about. But if you worked in special forces, you were deployed quite often and you saw combat. Yeah, yeah, multiple. I think I deployed uh, eight times total. And one of yeah, those one of, happened to be yeah. Battle of Mogadishu, am I correct? Yeah, that was very early on. So I was in the Ranger Battalion, uh, in B Company 3rd Ranger Battalion, for just a little over two years when we deployed to Mogadishu. And for those not familiar, the movie Black Hawk Down portrays the Battle of Mogadishu. And I saw it a long time ago, and I tried to watch it a second time, and I'll be honest with you, Brad, I, I couldn't sit through it. It's a very intense movie. Have you watched it? I saw the premiere, but it was after I had already made my way to Delta, and they had a special screening with the director, the producer, one of the actors, and uh, the writer of the book. So we got to kind of meet all them. And I think there may have been like 20 or 30 of us that were there. I saw it then, and I've seen clips of it here or there. My son, younger son, is kind of obsessed with it to some degree, and you know, it wasn't until he got a little bit older that he would ask me questions about it. And wait, so were you here during this? And you know, what was this like? And things like that. So, yeah, I've seen it. You know, one time in its entirety, and probably snippets of it here or there over the years. I think I'd rather have to talk about the birds and the bees than that conversation with your son. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it it opens a can of worms, and that's one of the things where I try and be straight up with him. I. He, he didn't necessarily know what I did, nor was it really explainable up until a certain point in his life. 
And I don't, I don't think that they really even understood that I was in the military because I didn't come and go in uniform. I didn't look like a typical soldier. And he was in first grade and came home from school and said, we were going around the room today and they had us talk about what our parents did. And what do you do? And I said, well, you can tell him I'm a soldier. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, you're a soldier? And uh, I said, yeah, now think about that. What do you think that that enables me to do? And he said, maybe you can do things that other soldiers can't. And that was it. And uh, we didn't really do a whole lot of talking about it. But when he got into video games and some of the, you know, shoot 'em up war-type video games, Rainbow Six and things like that, I think that was kind of the next, you know, moment where he started kind of figuring out that, oh, my dad used to do this stuff or my dad does this stuff. Does it seem like it was a lifetime ago or does it seem like it's part of you and your DNA? Yeah, interestingly, I've had this conversation with a handful of people and, you know, part of it feels like a completely different life. And other times, you know, there's some emotion that's a little raw still and it's just kind of right underneath the surface sometimes. So, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm not even connected to it and I look at plaques and I see things or I see a picture and I think, man, that wasn't even me. And other times, you know, it feels like yesterday. So it's a mixed bag. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Brad Thomas, a retired United States Army, uh, Special Forces, a rock musician as well. His band is called Silence and Light. Their website, I believe, is silenceandlightmusic.com. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today show brought to you by Switched On Life. What does it mean to have a switched on life? Go to switchedonlife.com to learn more. Live life switched on. Get more details about the book, the podcast, and more at switchedonlife.com. That's switchedonlife.com. Back to our conversation with Brad Thomas on the Law Enforcement Today Show. As I said earlier, many of our guests on the show are law enforcement officers, and they give a glimpse behind the badge of what it's like to investigate like serial rapes and murders and all those things. And they are heroes. And a big part of our show as well are law enforcement officers, other first responders, their family members, survivors, victims of crime, and military veterans telling their stories focusing on overcoming the effects, long-term effects of trauma and violence. And I think the most important part about it, Brad, is for a lot of people who are struggling or don't understand, and I'll get into why they don't understand that in a moment, that there's light at the end of the tunnel, but it takes work. Sure. And and it's also something where there are multiple degrees of, of trauma and struggle. And so my experience and things that I dealt with 
are going to be completely different than somebody else's. And even though we lived through or survived the same exact event. So it's, it's interesting, and it's always been interesting to me, some of the differences between me and my teammates or me and rangers that I served with or things along the way. And, uh, yeah, it's an individual thing. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, and I think that there are definitely some things that a person can do to help themselves uh, deal with that in a little bit different way. One of the things that I had to learn how to do, and some guests on the show have helped me with this quite a bit, is I had to learn to stop comparing, comparing stories and saying, look, what they went through is worse than what I went through or harder or, or more traumatic. Therefore, I don't have a right to be as messed up as I was at the time. So I had to learn how to do that. Was that an issue for you? I didn't have an issue with that. But, you know, one of, one of the things and the reason really behind why I started the band was to take proceeds from music royalties. So we make music, we sell music, and we take the proceeds and royalties from music sales and streams, and we contribute those to several different first responder, veteran, and soft-related charitable organizations. We didn't want to start, I didn't want to start a foundation. I didn't want to start another thing uh, because I feel like there were some really good things out there. But the whole point of me doing what I'm doing isn't to say, look at me, I'm playing rock music, or I'm a rock star, or anything else. It's to say, I've lived through a lot of stuff, and I've dealt with, uh, you know, some very difficult issues and seen a lot of friends killed, been surrounded by murder-suicides, all kinds of things, uh, training accidents, training deaths. And if I can figure out a way to be healthy, creative, positive, and give back to the community to get a sense of purpose, if I can do it, then anybody can do it. And that's a lot of power. That's... That's liberating for many, many people. And it doesn't matter what their walk of life is because everybody has really, and I don't want to make this sound overly simplified, everybody has really difficult stuff they go through, whether it be health-related, financial-related, and they think, I can't handle, I'm at the end of my rope, I can't handle anymore. Then we hear a story about someone who's been through some different but very, very difficult situations and had to work their way through to build and choose the kind of life they want for them and their families. That's the part I think that really can uh, affect people positively, no matter their walk of life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was talking with a buddy of mine last evening. He called me out of the blue and he and I hadn't talked in, I don't know, probably the better part of 20 years. And he hit me up through social media and he said, you know, can I call you? I sent him my number. He wanted to tell me about a foundation that he started that was about, you know, preventing suicide prevention and veteran suicide and and everything else. And he started telling me about his own story. And it was an absolute kick in the gut. The number of, you know, marriages that he's had, the, you know, his, he helped, his wife helped him stand up this foundation and then committed suicide. And, you know, it's just one after the other, just lost his mom to cancer, his, uh, you know, 12-year-old daughter, her mother, you know, his ex-wife is, you know, diagnosed with stage four cancer. It's just like one thing after another. And, you know, you always realize, so comparing and talking about that, which you said before, I never compare because I know it's all different. But the thing that motivated me about the conversation with him is, he wasn't giving up and he wasn't giving in. He's still giving back to the community. And there is something really powerful and tremendous about doing that because it makes you feel better about yourself. It gives you a motivation, something to look forward to, something to do, something to tie you in with your friends and 
former mates and things like that. So, you know, the the 12-step programs use it. And, you know, that's that's one of the best things that I think anybody can do that's struggling. I agree with you 100%. And I'm sure there is some similarities. Uh, in my police training, one of the things that was drilled into our heads from day one and it was like not, you got sick and tired of hearing is that if you get into a really bad situation, whether it be a gunfight or a fist fight or whatever it might be, and you're, you're losing and you are getting it handed to you, the one thing you cannot do ever is quit. You got to stay in the fight. You just got to keep on working to try to survive. Otherwise, the battle's over. I'm sure that was drilled in your heads as well. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I get a lot of kids that hit me up on social media and they say, you know, I want to do this. I want to go to this unit. I want to be a part of whatever. Uh, What can I do? How should I prepare? And I tell them the same thing. Super easy. There's only one thing you have to do, and it's a negative, but it's don't quit. That's all you have to do is just don't quit. Don't raise your hand and quit. If you can stay in and stay in it, if you keep trying, you will succeed. You know, there's nothing that's that difficult. And a lot of people mentally quit. They may not raise their hand and quit. They may, uh, you know, kind of take themselves out of the fight or whatever it might be. And that's exactly it. You just can't quit. In the movie, Black Hawk Down, without going into a lot of details or specifics, that is clearly obvious that the troops there didn't quit. They they didn't ask to go into that bad situation to have that happen, but they had no other choice but to fight their way out. And it was a tremendous fight. Did the film actually portray the portions that you experienced? Um, yes and no. There were there were some snippets here and there, and I feel like probably the most significant part of the battle I don't feel like was depicted, you know, very much. And and a part of that is a movie can't be about 120 different characters. So they condense and compress everything into, you know, kind of telling one part of the story through one character. And so the the portion that I was involved with wasn't necessarily portrayed because the main ranger character wasn't a part of that. And gotcha. uh, I, I spent the better part of the day driving around looking for crash sites and things like that. And that's really kind of where all the bad stuff was happening and all the guys that were killed in action. That's where all that stuff happened. So... I, I feel like they, they touched on it here or there, but it definitely wasn't depicted in a way that, you know, I, I wish that it had been. One of the frustrating parts about that, I'm sure, because uh, one of the similarities, and there's a lot of differences, when there's a really, really bad call and you're going to it, all they want to do is get there and help. That's all you want to do. Uh, and my mind was racing at the time. Like, what do you do? What are the procedures? What am I going to do? What if this is happening? What if that's happening? And not being able to get and help someone that you know really is in a battle for their life. I, I don't know the words to come up with that will actually describe that. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We're talking with Brad Thomas. He is retired United States Army, Special Forces, and part of the band, founder of Silence and Light. Go to the website, silenceandlightmusic.com. Take a short break. We'll be right back. 
The old way of living with diabetes is a pain. You've got to remember to do your testing, and you always need to be sticking your fingers. The new way to live your life with diabetes is with a continuous glucose monitor. You simply apply a discreet, easy-to-use sensor on your body, and it continuously monitors your glucose levels, helping you spend more time in range and freeing you from painful finger pricks. If you test your blood sugar at least four times per day and inject insulin at least three times per day or use an insulin pump and have private insurance or Medicare, you might be eligible for a CGM with little or no cost to you. Call U.S. Medical Supply today for a free benefits check. We offer free shipping, 90-day supplies, and we bill Medicare or your insurance directly. Call now and say goodbye to finger pricks. 800-756-8720 That's 800-756-8720 This is the Law Enforcement Today show. Joining us from Long Island, New York, we have Brad Thomas. Brad is retired United States Army Special Forces. Uh, He's also a rock band member, founder of the band Silence and Light. Their website, silenceandlightmusic.com. If we have a chance later in the show, we'll play one of their songs. And part of your mission with your music is helping raise money for veteran and first responder groups. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the whole point of us, you know, starting this thing and me kind of standing up the band was to, you know, not only say, look, if I can do this, you can do this too, because I've lived through the dark times. I've done a bunch of stuff that was pretty nasty and dealt with a bunch of nasty stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm putting myself out there, not for any reason other than that, to say, use me as an example. And if I can do this, you can do it too. Find something and find a way to give back. Two different charitable organizations that we're contributing to currently. And I didn't want to make this something that was a vet only or a special operations only type of thing, because I feel like there are much, many more people that can relate to you know, kind of the loss of identity or needing help or struggling with whatever. It could be a paramedic. It can be an EMT. It could be a police officer. It could be a doctor. But when it's over, it's over. Some people get it taken away, you know, because they're wounded and their time in in the military is over. You know, other people, they might have done something wrong and that causes shame and all kinds of other things. And it turns into this really nasty ball of, of stuff. But the main uh, charitable organization we're contributing to is called Warrior's Heart, and it's a physical place in Texas for veterans, first responders, anybody that's struggling with PTSD. And the two things that I love is that not only do they do PTSD counseling and therapy and things like that, but they, they help get people clean. And I think most times you find that people that are struggling with something like that are, are have other other issues going on they're kind of compounding everything and it's usually substance abuse or alcohol abuse or things like that so they help get people cleaned up and then they start therapy and the other thing that they do is they, they use art in whatever form it could be welding it could be painting it could be writing it could be music but they use that as a form of therapy in a way to kind of like release some of these negative things that guys and gals have going on and that spoke near and dear to me so that's that's one of the things that we're supporting. The other is Marine Raider Foundation, which is, uh, you know, for Marine Raiders, MARSOC people. It's a foundation that contributes je- directly to families of guys that have fallen overseas or were killed in, in uh, training. And uh, a lot of times families don't have money to, 
be able to fly across country and bring in their whole family and put them up in hotels and everything else. They take care of all that stuff for the family. So those are the two right now that we're contributing to. Excellent. I had a guest on quite a while ago. I believe her name is Erica Umberhagen. She works at Warrior's Heart. She's a former law enforcement officer, and, and her story is heartbreaking. And PTSD, she lost her job. She wound up homeless, uh, drinking herself to death, and in and out of shelters, and uh, has found with help, like many people, a, a way to recapture and claim the life she wants to have now and give back. One of the things I always tell people is, with, the, with cases particularly of substance abuse and addiction that as long as that person's breathing in and out, there's hope for them. So don't ever give up hope on them. And uh, I'm not gonna tell people what to do, but uh, there's help available and many people have phenomenal lives afterwards. And you're a great example of this because you have a great life. Yeah, I, I do. And fortunately, uh, you know, I tell people all the time, I, I, I lived through some dark stuff and probably right after Mogadishu, there was an 18 month period of time where I probably wasn't the healthiest. And there, there was probably another time in my life where I definitely was using alcohol as a coping mechanism. And, you know, it was much easier to go out and party and have fun than it was to deal with, you know, the mess in my life and everything else. So although I don't, I'm not an addict. I never went through a 12-step program, and I never really felt uh, PTSD in a form that I felt like was taking me down the wrong road. Um, you know, I feel very fortunate in that aspect. So, As long as people are busy in their career, and this is from my own experience, I was okay. I thought I was okay. And as you said very well, I was doing unhealthy things. But when my career was over suddenly due to injury and I had lots of time on my hands, I wound up thinking too much. And I wound up, that's when the the real trouble for me started. Did you encounter that at all when your career was over? Um, So there there are a couple of things. One is I don't feel like, and we kind of talked about this at the beginning, I don't feel like I ever fully identified as just being a Delta Force operator. You know, I'm more things in life than just that. And uh, music has always been a huge part of my life. And so even if I lost the identity of being a Delta Force operator because I retired and I no longer have this thing and, you know, am not a part of the team anymore and things like that, I, I still have these other things that I very strongly identify with. And so I, when I talk to younger guys now or guys that are current or active, I tell them the same thing, like, don't ever put, you know, you you have to be well-rounded and you have to be balanced. Uh, The other thing that I've seen is, generally speaking, when people separate from the military, if it's not like a medical retirement or something where it's taken away from them, what I've seen is that people generally have this fun period of, we'll say, 18 to 24 months. And that is, the man isn't telling me when I have to be at work, what I have to wear, what the uniform is of the day all of those kinds of things, and they have a lot of fun with it. And then they get to a point where they realize that the thing that they're doing, no matter how great it might be, it doesn't give them the same sense of feeling and the same sense of purpose and the same sense of doing something bigger than themselves. And that's where, to me, it's really important to look at giving back to the community where you came from. Uh, The only people that I think that are in a little bit different situation, and I've seen a lot of this too, probably a lot more than anybody really talks about, are guys that ended up having to leave the unit for you know, some circumstances that maybe something happened and they got fired. Maybe they served you know, four years there and they were a tremendous operator, a tremendous human being. They made a mistake 
and they were forced out. And that's something that I don't, I don't feel like gets talked about enough. It's one thing to leave and transition out of the military and have this honorable career and, you know, feel great about everything that you've done. But it's a completely different thing when something's either taken away from you or you do make a mistake. And maybe you make a mistake because you're struggling with a bunch of that's going on because of the trauma that you've experienced, which is generally the case. And, you know, that's something where overcoming that shame and what I tell people that have lived that and buddies of mine and teammates of mine that have lived that is that we all have our own stuff. You think that you're under the microscope and everybody remembers the reason that you got fired or the reason that you left. Nobody really remembers it. And because we're all dealing with our own stuff. So we would rather have you a part of the group and be included and be here than, you know, you feel like you the shame or whatever else and you're ashamed and you can't come around the group. Nobody even cares anymore. Shame you know? is a very, very powerful word. And it is. It's also a very destructive motion or state of mind. It's one thing to be ashamed of something I've done. I made a mistake. I did something out of character. I did something that violates my moral compass, whatever it might be. It's another thing to be totally ashamed of who I have become. And a lot of people wind up being in a situation a lot of times as an adverse after effect from repeated exposure to violence and trauma, self-medicating with alcohol, self-medicating with drugs, having relationship problems, isolating, and all those other things. And they become deeply ashamed of who they've turned into. Sure. And that's what I think we're trying to avoid. And I, I think what the conversation we're having is a big step in the example you are portraying with your life and your band, Silence and Light. This is Brad Thomas. We're going to take a short break. Their band's website is silenceandlightmusic.com. When we return, we're going to talk a little bit more about the band, maybe play some of their music, and their mission after service. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603-800-451-8603-800-451-8603. That's 800-451-8603. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Joining us, we have Bob Starkman calling us from South Florida. Bob is a retired U.S. Customs agent, former corrections officer, also a U.S. college basketball coach and member of the Basketball Hall of Fame for coaching, often explaining that and author of the book, Inside Both Courts. You've got this remarkable career. And we could talk police work all day long, but there's a big transition for you 
somewhere along your career, you started in basketball, went into law enforcement, and then began to transition into coaching basketball. How did that happen? Well, what people don't realize until they read the book, I started coaching in 1997 while I was an agent. See, a lot of people don't know that. And I would go from a drug bust to a practice. I would go from a game to maybe a surveillance. And it was, I don't know how I did it looking back. I, you know, I, I don't know how I did it. And that, that goes back from 1997. I retired from customs in 2008, and I'm still coaching. So I'm on, you know, it's been a long run. But I, at the time, I thought it was wrong. I was the only part-time junior college coach around. I was coaching at Broward College. Looking back, there was no way I would have had, you know, both careers going because, of course, my bread and butter was my customs job. But it was just something I loved, and I just continued to coach. I, I made it happen. You know, I was able to make it happen. Looking back still, I, I don't know how I did it, but I was able to handle two jobs. How did your family handle you working two jobs? Well, you know, my, my kids, it's funny. Uh, when I first started, they all played sports at one time. My daughter would come to my games, and you know, she would help out. My middle son, he would do videotaping. When my younger son got older, he would do videotaping. I would come home. I remember driving home. I was in a, an academy. I had to go for like a two-week training academy. I was coming home from Georgia. I got pulled over by the trooper. I said, listen, you're not going to believe this. I said, I got my daughter's basketball game. I haven't been home in two weeks. He let me go. It's like I always managed somehow. I miss hardly anything, and I don't know how I did it. Like I'm looking back now. I guess uh, time management, you know, was very good to me then. I don't know what I'm doing now. We have a lot of guys on the show. I say, guys, I know someone's get upset. That means men and women in, in the world I come from, and most law enforcement people talk the same way. So a lot of the men and women that are in law enforcement do a lot of activity with youngsters in coaching, whether it be volunteer or working as a part-time job. It's almost part of their nature. Correct. I actually, you know, when I, prior to getting hired in, you know, as a, the assistant coach, that's why I started out at Broward College, I would coach my all my kids. I would coach them in, you know, in, in basketball. Uh, I did everything. And even when I was coaching in college, I still coached my kids. I always, you know, I was able to work it out somehow and, Maybe I should like put a patent on that. I might be able to uh, turn that into something, you know? Yeah, make it a bottle it and sell it for like uh, replace all these exactly. energy drinks. Exactly. Yeah. I've had people on a show that um, were involved, heavily involved with the Police Athletic League in New York. Uh, were involved in NYPD boxing, and had people like Mike Tyson come through their camps and work with. And some some of these people were young kids that were skating and getting in serious trouble and had an option of which way do I go in life and really the coaches and the volunteers in sports had a big impact on helping them choose the right way yes and and that's something I discussed uh with some other another show I was on and I I just feel like you know me personally I, I think our athletes have to do a better job I think uh you know with this world, with the protesting and the kneeling, and you know, I, I'm I'm against the kneeling. I'm not against you know if you have if you're going to protest, there's a way to do it, do it in the right way. And I, I think you know, like as, as a kid growing up, you looked up to these athletes. Now I think athletes have to do a better job because they could be so influential. Teach the right way. You know what I mean? Teach the right way how to go about things. I would teach my athletes. You know, my student athletes. I said, listen, you get pulled over by the police. 
You keep your mouth shut, put the hand on the wheel, turn your, you know, your light on. The cop gives you any trouble, whomever, take down his badge number. Don't be disrespectful because you're going to lose. We all know, you know, there's a lot of jerks in this world on both sides of the fence. But I think kids, you know, the problem now is I always say kids need to be told what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And I think, you know, I think our athletes could do a better job now. I think when growing up, PAL, we had the um, after-school centers, the evening community centers, the CYO basketball, the Jewish Center League basketball. These were people that they were good influences on you. You know, and I think we've gotten away with that. You know, we've gotten away from it. Excuse me. I agree with you 100%. And a, a big part of it is people don't really understand the deep connection to the communities that our law enforcement people have. They, they sometimes view them... And I think the news media, Hollywood has a lot to do with this. They view them as an occupying force instead of viewing them as someone who's a protector that actually lives and works and breathes that community. And they come home at night to their kids just like everybody else, you know. And the, the problem is, too, like, you know, with the social media, I'll tell kids, and even when I talk either at a basketball camp or anywhere, I'll pick up my phone. I said, this is your worst enemy. You know, it's your worst enemy. It could be your best, but people make it, the, you know, your worst. Whether it's sending a basketball video of you taking the same shot seven times. I'm like, you scored 21 points on one shot. Or, you know, a kid, kid's applying to be a cop. And there's a kid that I'm trying to help out. And I'm telling him, you know, you go on your social media page, and there you are in a club drinking. You think somebody's going to do your background? It's not going to pull up your Instagram account, your Facebook account. They're going to see that. Well, I'll delete it. Well, you may delete it, but they still could pull it up. And, you know, that's the problem. Kids need to hear, again, what they, you know, what, what they need to hear. You know, most kids, well, oh, no, it's cool. No, it's not cool. That could, you know, potentially hurt you in getting a, a job. It could keep you from accomplishing your dreams. Uh, exactly. And do you feel that your law enforcement background and career makes you a better coach and, and better at relating to young people? Yes, I think my upbringing, the, you know, how I was raised, uh, I think the law enforcement, playing ball, coaching, how it all helped me was I tell people I equate both jobs. So in law enforcement, you know, you want to go out and have a good time. When I say, you know, enjoy your job, arrest a few people, don't get hurt, do it the right way. I never lied in court. You know what I mean? I, I never abused anybody. Basketball, I never cheated. I taught hard work. You know what I mean? I, I didn't do things that were illegal. And I think it's all a reflection of both of my careers. And just so people don't think, I'm not in the Naismith Hall of Fame. I'm in the Florida Junior College Hall of Fame and my Broward College Hall of Fame. But it's still a Hall of Fame. But I just want to get that people, I don't want to think that I'm up there with, you know, the Bobby Knights and the Red Owlbacks and all the other great people. Is that right, is, is right if I think of you that way, that you're like up there with those guys? I'd like you to think of me that way, but there's others that may think I think that way. <laughs> well, that's why if you're like me, you have a spouse that will knock you down to size. Uh, anytime I feel like I get too big for my britches, I've got someone at home that, that right sizes me. Well, you don't understand. I have a six foot ten son. I have a six foot three son, a six foot one daughter, a six foot five son-in-law, and my wife is five eleven. But I'm still six five. So there's a couple of them I got to worry about. You know. This real quickly. Let's talk about your book. What prompted you to write it? Well, I wanted a years ago. I, I always used to take pictures of drug seizures and arrests. And when I was a correction officer, we didn't have the you know the 
the access to the phones, we never had that. And I always had some extra pictures or from a Polaroid. And I, I would just write notes and I stopped. And, you know, 13 years ago, I retired and I was writing and I stopped. I write and I stopped. Uh, my son, Rob, who owns a big company, Rockham Apparel, says to me, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Kept on pushing me. Kept on pushing me. I went to Joe Pistone, who was Donnie Brasco in the real world on, undercover. He told me an easy way to do it because I was typing, and every time I was typing, I would delete something by accident. I'd lose the page. He said to me, listen, take a you know, pad and pencil, write it down, boom. You make a mistake, you erase it, cross it out. I did that. I would do about eight pages a day, one hour, two hour. The former player of mine, Joe Lopez, was playing professionally in Spain. I would scan it to him. He would type it up, send it back to me. I hired a, an editor, and Joe was my Joe Stone. He would go over it and say, hey, you need this. You need that too much, too little. So, you know, that was my little circle, and that was really a lot of push. You know, it, it, was, it was, you know, I was getting educated. I had my son that kept on pushing me because I didn't want to hear him talk anymore, so I finally finished it. But over the pandemic, I thought it was a good time, and I think the way the world is, my book talks about perseverance, working hard, you know, getting your goals done, and and doing something, you know, and and that, that's and again, my biggest thing is it's about we, not me. And I think people, you know, would, are, would be interested in reading that. And it's called Inside Both Courts, and it's available on Amazon and probably wherever books are sold. No, actually, just Amazon at this time. Oh, Amazon. Let's work on getting it wherever books are sold. Bob, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Thanks for all you've done. Thanks for your service, and all is very much appreciated. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on here. Stay safe be healthy there's only one official facebook page what you do you do a search on facebook for law enforcement today radio show click like and follow there you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show you can contact me we also find unique one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles that is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.